0: Very long scripture passage. I did try to shorten shorten today's scripture reference, but uh, in today's sermon, you'll kind of see why I kept um, all of those 13 13 <laughs> verses. Um, but for you that do not know me, my name is Alicia. I have been going to Midtown for about three years this March, along with Jacob. Um, And so, yeah, we found just such a great and enriching community here at Midtown. And so, as always, thank you, Alex and Cassie, for inviting me to share with everyone today. Um, So to give some context, Jacob and I went to New York this past weekend, and uh, we decided to do an experience more than um, giving each other a gift and for people that just like to have fun, and experience is just the best thing that we could give one another. Um, and I think actually the highlight of our trip was really spending time with our friends that lived in the city. Of course, we did all the tourist things, but we found the most special time is to be with people in their home state and just doing the things that they do. And if you want a free marriage challenge, <laughs> I would recommend, uh, or Jacob and I would recommend traveling to catch your flight back to Kansas City via the public transportation system, (laughs) and not an Uber. And I will say that, um, depending on who you ask, you're going to get a very different story. So I recommend you ask me how how that went. (laughs) And I I won't tell you who wanted what. But uh, if you want to challenge, yes, try navigate. And specifically, JFK, which is just the farthest airport in New York City compared to LaGuardia. It was it was a fun time. We we learned how to work through that uh, together, but it was it was a challenge. Again, ask me who how it went. But um, uh, but all jokes aside. Uh, we did have a lot of fun visiting, again, the tourist spots. And because we visited New York City in a time of peak holiday season, and I believe there was some record recordings of the number of visitors during this time, because of course, post pandemic in 2023, they were just seeing a lot of people come back through the city. Um, but as we were like walking through and we got to see all the stores, you know, Tiffany's and back uh, Saks Fifth Avenue, uh, I was again struck by how much consumption shapes us, and of course, visiting New York City in Christmas time is experiencing consumerism in a very high dose. Um, and just personally, someone that is, um, is from Kansas City, again, I realized my Kansas City persona when I went to New York City of how much I do not enjoy navigating any public transportation system, but you are consistently, whether it's in Kansas City or New York City, bombarded by the messaging and ads that you can keep experiencing, you know, all these new things and all these new experiences. And it's really an invitation to put our hope in the next thing or the next experience. And that's something that kind of stood out to me a lot in New York City, is how much we are invited into putting our hope in an experience or a thing, or just the idea that um, your life could look different than how it does right now. And consumerism, as anything else, has advantages and it has disadvantages. But consumerism is heavily criticized uh, for environmental problems, Uh, pollution, problems with waste disposal. On the psychological level, it is credited for increasing anxiety as consumers try to keep up with the Joneses, thus going into consumer debt. It creates loneliness, depression, and low self-esteem. I love this quote by Adam Smith, the father of classical economics, which writes, consumerism is a desire for a life without shame. And if you are not seen as being able to afford something, it often feels very shameful. What does the car you drive, or the house that you own or do not own, say about you? This is how Tim Jackson, a financial journalist, describes consumerism's charm. Consumerism's most glittering prize is the promise of immortality itself. An earthly paradise of never wanting, never needing, never lacking for anything imagination can dream of. Consumerism deceives us into believing that we can achieve an earthly immortality because if I can achieve my personal happiness, right, my life fulfillment, then I have achieved a long life of not needing people. I have achieved a long life of not being uh, close enough to anyone to know my personal needs, whether physical or uh, emotional, relational, spiritual, we often look outside of ourselves to find the solution to what is going on inside of us. And then we begin to put our hope in the things that we are consuming. On a spiritual level, consumerism has become the most acceptable idol in Christianity This ranges from social media influencers, I know we all follow them, (laughs) Uh, reminding us of a lifestyle and houses and products that we do not own. And this just kind of keeps us consistently dissatisfied. We find ourselves in competition with our own friends and family, and we grow envious of our neighbors and even strangers that live around the world or across America that we have no idea what their real life looks like, but we find ourselves very envious of how they are living. Consumerism offers a false hope for a better and brighter future, right? If we own the right stuff, we will own hope. If we have enough money in our bank account, we will own But that's not true, is it? Could it be that consumerism or this idol of immortality has kept us from hoping in our true source of immortality, eternal life, a life with Christ? And this is what we are going to be talking about today, this idea of hope going beyond consumerism. I was recently talking with a friend about uh, my topic of hope And in this conversation, it came up that we use the words hope, faith, joy, peace very frequently in our day-to-day conversations, and especially, of course, in the Advent season. And she said, you know, we use these words often, but we don't always think about what's paired with them, meaning we cannot know peace without anxiety, we cannot fully know joy without the feeling of sorrow, we cannot experience faith without the wrestlings of doubt, and we cannot know hope without the context of anguish. These beautiful words woven throughout our daily conversations come hand in hand with the reality that we are not home, and we will have broken hearts on this earth. So this begs a question we must ask ourselves today. What is the Christian or the Christ hope? It's easy to miss the wonder of the Christian hope, right? As If we look to culture to define it, rather than how it's used in Scripture and how it's used in the biblical narrative of Jesus' life. So today we're actually going to work backwards through Paul's passage of Romans 15 to first learn about the Christ of the Jews, the hope of Christ, the hope of the Jews and Gentiles, and then to learn from Christ's example of a hopeful life. So we're actually going to be picking up in verse 12 when, he, uh, when Paul writes. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. And the reason I want to begin with verse 12 is because Paul here establishes the very source of the Christian hope, right? Christ. He quotes a specific passage in Isaiah 11 of this root, right? This lineage from Jesse who will come uh, be the person that we are to place our hope in. And actually in other translations, instead of describing this future hope as a root, it is described as a A stump. Um, And the stump signifies this remnant of people that would barely survive God's judgment. Yet Isaiah prophesies the seemingly lifeless stump will produce new life and bring forth a Messiah that would change everything. And I kind of related to this word stump more than the word root, because um, I don't know about you, but I often feel like my hopes look like stumps. (laughs) They just like look a little stumpy. And if you look, if you Google what a stump looks like, not a lot is happening there. (laughs) And oftentimes it's just like, it's just a cut tree. It's just like what could come, what life could come from this stump? And... Some of the things that I have been hoping for for years and years and years and years still look like stumps. What life could come from this? Or maybe you've heard, what life can come from Bethlehem? But when I meditate on the source of my hope, I'm reminded that this Messiah would have human ancestry. This Messiah, the root of Jesse, would have a lineage of people, of faithful people, but people that have made mistakes, but have countered the living God. And this Messiah would come from a place that looked hopeless and would transform it into a birthplace of hope for the world. So to encourage you that if your hopes look like stumps, and they might have looked like this for a long time in God's word, we are reminded that this is his birthplace of hope. And along the same line, Isaiah articulates this thought again, right? The poster verse of Advent, which speaks of a baby being born in a time of darkness. Isaiah writes, For to us a child is born, for to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So Paul reminds us again of this true Christian hope. God incarnate, Jesus Christ, who came flesh and blood and walked in our humanity. He is the object of our hope. And he lists these names out because these are the names which was the object of our hope. Peace, mighty God, wonderful counselor, everlasting father. So now the question remains how does this Christian hope affect our day to day lives? And to learn this, we look at the life of Jesus himself as he is the fullest and most complete example of what it looks like to live a hopeful life. And before we jump into the first part of Romans 15, 1 through 6. It's important to note that Paul's writings include a pattern, which is the reason why I wanted to keep verses 1 through 13. It's because throughout his letters to the early church, Paul reminds them about the power of loving others and how this comes to play in hope. For example, Romans 10 is salvation to all. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all those who call on him. Romans 12, love in action. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo another in showing honor. Romans 13, love fulfills the law. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. And lastly, Romans 14, right before uh, we get to 15, is the weak and the strong. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. So this kind of got me thinking as I was preparing for today that Paul, the author of a fourth of the New Testament, an example of faith, a man who has been imprisoned and someone who has been radically changed by the person of Jesus, and someone who had the knowledge and training to teach both Jew and Gentile of all social levels throughout the Roman Empire, reiterates. Over and over and over the importance of becoming a person of love, of bearing with one another, of building one another up, of being devoted to others. The list goes on and on, and it was a theme that I felt that I really had to include in today's teaching because I, it was just so evident in his writings that he was conveying this message of what it looks like to endure and bear with another person. So that leads me to believe that the second greatest commandment Jesus gave to us after loving him with all our mind, soul, and strength, that loving your neighbor as yourself plays a pivotal role in the Christian hope. And Paul describes in Romans 15 that hope isn't the flimsy, well-wishing, excessive positivity that I typically think of. It's easy to believe the illusion that Christian hope can mean those things because we use we use hope all the time, which is not bad and by any means or any stretch of the imagination. I hope for a lot of things in my in my life, but I begin to become really restless with the word hope, especially as I was preparing. I'm a I'm an overthinker in this in this room, so I was really beginning to overthink this word hope, but. That's okay, I, I came back down. But um, as I was becoming restless with this idea of hope, that I ju- it just can't mean well-wishing and excessive positivity all the time. And the more that I realized it, the more it kind of dawned on me that my hopes were more rooted in this idea of feeling good consistently that my hopes became centrally focused on eliminating pain, discomfort, inconvenience, and avoiding the reality that I just, again, would need anything from anyone else. I just hope you well. I hope I'm well. We'll just keep going throughout our day. But who knows that in this life, that is a really hard thing to do. And I often mistake hope as moving through my life as painlessly as possible. But who has felt let down before by God and wish their present situation looked different than it does? Who has felt alone in pain, in their questions, in their loss, maybe in community and friendship? Or maybe you have watched someone suffer for a really long time. Maybe you don't know necessarily personally some of the hardships that you've watched other people go through, but there's someone that comes into mind where life has just been so unfair to them. And it's very hard to watch someone that you love suffer, which makes excessive positivity and well-wishing just kind of lose that wonder of hope. Like, that didn't help them. And even as a believer, I have felt hopeless many times throughout my life because if I am not connected to the hope in the present, hope in the future seems really bland, kind of like, you know, just like bland cereal, like it's just nothing special about it because it just, I don't have a connection to hope in the present. So hope in the future just seems like, well, I guess we'll get there. And if you grew up in church, you might have had someone say this to you. or maybe. And if you didn't, you might have had a similar experience where someone said this to a person that you know. But they might have come in good means and a good heart, apologized for something that you were going through. But then at the end, say something along the lines of, "But you know, Christ will come again. And for me, that has experienced a lot of different loss in my life. This idea of someone saying to me, Christ will come again, really just felt like a band-aid over like a caping wound. Like, I get that, and I believe that, but I need hope for the present. And I struggled to understand what it was like to live a hopeful life, not only for myself, but for other people, as we remain in the middle And this leads us to our second part, specifically Romans 15, verses 1 through through 6. Paul paints this beautiful picture of a unified church community when he writes, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance or patience and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Specifically here, Paul says that we can have hope through scriptures or what was written in the former days. Now when Paul mentions that we, the former days, right, he is talking of the Old Testament as they are living amongst the time the New Testament is happening. So we have the privilege of both We have the privilege of gleaning from both old and new. But Paul was reminding them of the Old Testament. And he gives an invitation to the people to look at the promises fulfilled in Abraham, in Job, in Ruth, in Naomi, in Isaiah, and look at God's faithfulness and to have hope. Or maybe in your story, as I've had to look at in my own story, sometimes relating to Abraham doesn't really cut it all the time. Although, like, he is a man of faith, and I do love, again, hearing his story, but sometimes you need some stories that are going on right, right now. And you can think of someone who has clung on to hope when life was so cruel to them or unfair or there was so much loss in their life, yet they remained soft. They remained a person that you would think of where, man, they had a lot of stumps in their life, But they continued to believe and hope in the source of it, that he would again produce life out of it. Who is that person that comes to your mind when you need to be reminded of the Christ hope? Who has abided in Jesus when all the facts were considered The past and the scriptures have beautiful spiritual value to add to our lives right now. And in the same breath, Paul didn't say, look to the government, look to the culture, look to your clothes, look to your bank account or your social status, your family tree for hope. He says, look to the biblical history, look to the stories of hope that have been preserved for you. And the same hope to persevere, which helps us right now, is the same hope in the Old Testament. We see this truth again in Romans 5.5 5 when Paul writes, we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame. He reminds the Roman church that the Christian hope is both perseverance and encouragement. Our hope in the world should not be formed by what is temporal, but what is eternal. Despite what our culture tells us, this Christ's hope is not man-made. Clothing and shoes are the hope that we can live a beautiful life. Video games are the hope that we can play a part in a more beautiful story. A car and a house are the hope that we can be a person of influence. And advanced technology is the hope that we can have power. But all these scriptural and even personal examples of hope still point to the person of hope. The ultimate example for which we are to pattern our lives. Paul writes, May the God of endurance or patience and encouragement to grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ. This idea, again, of bearing with one another, of loving one another, that may the God of those things give you the ability to live in harmony with each other. Paul encourages us by saying that may the God who knows long-suffering the one that came from the stump. And patience with his children, right, who are often forgetful and go wayward and have selfish and disordered desires. Give us his own spirit to patiently bear with the mistakes, with the infirmities, with the aches and the pains of others. And we know how to do this because we have the most complete example in the person of Jesus Christ. As Jesus became a servant for us, who interceded on our behalf, wept at grave sites, invited the marginalized to a meal, displayed radical mercy and forgiveness, and spent time abiding with the Father, we look to his example As we work to release our false hopes, right, this false hope that we can own hope, as consumerism teaches us, the more you own, the more you have, you kind of own this guaranteed future of your life would look a certain way. We can actually really recognize the Holy Spirit in our endurance so that we don't grow bitter or resentful but that we can remain soft And we can remain able to hear when the Holy Spirit is encouraging our hearts when all the facts are considered. And Paul invites us to be formed by this type of hope, right? Again, not the flimsy, just hope you're doing well, well well-wishing type of hope. So now the question is, how do we live a life of hope? That changes the people around us just as Jesus did. And here is the answer. We do not merely wait or observe for the second coming of Christ. We participate in it. I'll invite the worship team back up. I think Eugene Peterson gives a beautiful definition about the Christian hope. He writes, hope is not about the future. Hope is about the present. It obviously has to do with the future, but it is a virtue which is cultivated in the present. It fills the present with energy. It connects the two comings of Jesus so that we are now a participant in them. We are not just remembering the one and believing in the other. We are participating in the continuity of the comings. And when I first found this uh, quote, it just really clicked in my gut that all the years of the Band-Aid statements that yes, Christ will come again. And yes, how miraculous and beautiful that there will be no more hospitals, and there will be no more pain and suffering. But my lingering question always was, consumer who tiptoes around the pain of our neighbors. We are not a a passive consumer who tiptoes around the pains of our own life. But to be a participant with Jesus who knows what it's like to be in our humanity, who had a human ancestry. And it is through the character, sorry, it's through the Holy Spirit we share in the same character of Christ to bless others. And the more that I take the word and what Jesus writes of renew, renewing the spirit of your mind, put on my likeness, put on the full armor of God, that we share in this very same character of Christ to bless others and to be a participant in the hope to come. So that when we see Christ again, we will be living in the land of the living, in the land of the wonder of hope, and not just aim, aimlessly roaming through life, just trying to avoid pain. But we can be filled with wonder in our very present and in our gut and know that when Christ comes again, that we would take Paul and Jesus at his word when he said to learn to become a person of love. Anne Lamont, a faith writer, Uh, one of my favorites, describes hope as this big quilted blanket that was sewn stitch by stitch by people who helped her stand up again in life's unbearable spaces and stay warm. And this is how I want to envision hope as this big quilted blanket stitched by stitch woven together by the people who said I will hope with you. I will give out of my resources or my energy, and I will hope with you. And I'm actually reminded um, of this story. Uh, It was actually yesterday when I was practicing that this story came to my mind of a former coworker, uh, and her name was Kim. And Kim just She was a woman of faith, but she lived a very, very hard life. She had a lot of muscle issues, so where she was in walkers and wheelchairs. Um, And she eventually passed away about two years ago from ovarian cancer. And we were able to attend her funeral, and she was someone that I got to work with for about two years, and she was probably in her mid-50s. And at her funeral... Uh, her pastor said, when we were planning for this day, Kim did not want him to stand up and look at the audience and say that she got her miracle. She didn't want him to say that she got her miracle. She knew that she was going to be with Jesus and that he, she would be restored. But on this earth, her miracle that she really wanted was to be healed. And, and unfortunately, I don't understand all of that, that stuff, but that it wasn't her reality, and she did die from her disease. But he said, she wanted him to tell the people that attended her, fu- her funeral that it was the people that was given to her. That in many ways was the miracle. That kept her going until the very end. And as someone that worked with her day in and day out, I just never heard went to a funeral where someone was like, She just didn't get her miracle. Thanks for coming. <laughs> it was it was a weird, it was a weird thing to hear, because you think someone at that in that place would say, Well, she's with Christ. She got her miracle, you know, she's healed. But she didn't want him saying that. She wanted him to say that it was the people that participated in her her hope was the reason that she remained soft when life was so cruel and I always tear up when I think of Kim because she's one of the saints of faith that I will always remember who, who persevered and used encouragement to fuel her hope for the future even though she did not get her miracle on this earth. And I, am, I have so much hope in that, that I can be a participant in it even when all the facts are considered. And hope for that miracle on behalf of other people that are needing that extra encouragement, that I can pray with them and encourage them for God to intervene on their behalf. So this, here is what this practically looks like. Who maybe comes to your mind that's just a really difficult season right now? That either you can call or grab a meal or just give some encouragement, right? To fuel their present with hope. Is there an area in your life you can bless a friend? Whether it's your time or your finances. Or maybe an activity that they need done around their house? You know, mowing the lawn, babysitting their kids. Is there someone that you can think of where you can practically infuse hope into their situation right now? And lastly, is there someone that you can intentionally pray for? where you can imagine a different future than they have right now and pray for the Holy Spirit to just come and turn it all around for them. So in this moment, even through prayer, you can fuel the hope for the present. I encourage you to just pick one of these things and to be a person of hope to a dying world who has put their faith in consumerism, which will never bring about immortality. Instead, turn to God who will bring this eternal life. We have a hope in, yes, the life to come, but also in this life. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you will come again. But I thank you and we give you glory for being people of hope who are a participant in this hopeful life. I pray for people to come into our minds that are in seasons that they do not understand and that we can look at our own resources and our own life and encouragement and we can overflow, that we can abound in hope through the God of endurance and encouragement, that our hope can be multiplied, that you through the Holy Spirit give us the ability to endure with somebody else. You give us the ability to bring encouragement to somebody else. And for those, Father, that are looking at their hopes, that feel like stumps, that feel like what life could come from this? I pray that they would remember that you sit with them in the waiting of life to come from this stump. That out of the stump of Jesse, a Messiah will come and that will change everything. And I pray that those stumps and these hopes that we have that we don't give up on, but that we continuously fight the good fight of faith and that we endure and that we bring others in to bring encouragement. That we see these stumps transformed into a birthplace of hope. We just thank you for never leaving us, that you have shown your face upon us. I just thank you, Father, for sending your son as a baby to remind us that we are a participant in your second coming. Amen.